Uh, you're all really welcome with us. I'm really conscious, especially at this season, uh, with church, that um, if you're here today, you're probably new, given the fact that it seems to be week on week, just mountains of new people around the life of our church. So I want to I say to you, you are really welcome today. Please do grab anybody with the green lanyard around their neck. Say, hey, we'd love to get to know you, love to connect you to what we're up to uh, here in Belfast, find out a bit about you and all of that good stuff. So you are really welcome. You are here at a good time, as Helen said. We have been walking through our values uh, over the last number of weeks as we try to make sure in this season where lots of people are jumping in, lots of people committing. I had this bizarre experience post-lockdown, right? Normally as a church leader, you spend your time trying to almost like bribe people into committing to church, right? It's like, you know, you come and then try and get you to like go to a home group and then you try and get you to serve and then eventually if you're really good, you might start giving, right? That's kind of how it works. Whereas I had this bizarre experience post lockdown where people, well, I actually went for a walk with somebody one day, I'd never met this person, was walking along, and uh, they said to me while I was, I was, I mean, and I knew nothing about them, so all my questions were like, and what do you do, and all of this sort of stuff, and they were telling me about that, and then they basically turned around and they said, and how's Levi, Levi's got to be what? nine months old now, and I was like, what? Are you stalking me? And it's just the fact that online life over the last year or so has been such that people have kind of learned lots about us as a church and us as leaders, and when they've come to us as a church, they've jumped straight in, they've started serving. I, I was sat there a couple of weeks ago getting things on the laptop for visuals, and then the two people arrived here on coffee, and I was like, who are those people? I don't know who they are. And then the people arrived for the door, and I was like, like, I didn't know most of the people here, so you're really welcome. We're walking through values, okay? Uh, and we are here, we, the line that we kind of say or we give ourselves to is that we're here joining with God and others in the transformation of Belfast as disciples who make disciples, right? And we hold three values really dearly, okay? The first of those is worship, okay? That line in the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter Catechism that the chief end of man is to glorify God. And so we, as a people, exists to worship God. It is central to our lives. Community, okay? We're a people of community. We're not just here. It's not a social club. We're a community of people gathered around Jesus who is directing our steps always outwards and forwards. And finally, we are a people of witness. The third of our values is witness. And over the last 18 plus months, right, I have shot a lot of videos, right? Videos for church, videos for other churches and ministries, sermons, promos, trigger talks, Instagram stories, interviews, and so on and so on and so on, right? And throughout that time, I kind of caught myself on, right? That I would be saying one thing in particular that I didn't mean, okay? And it would be something like this, right? I'm so excited to welcome you here today, right? So the word excited, I'm just so excited that we're still on Zoom all the time, right? So excited to so excited, so excited, right? In fact, one day, right, one day, as online life dragged on, I was shooting a video for something, it was just Jamie and I, he was shooting it, and by the time the 90 second clip, the 90 second clip had finished, he turned around to me and said, Dave, do you know how I knew you're not excited about that? Because you said excited like 25 times, and he was right, right, I think it was actually 17 times, right? Thankfully at Central, we got a really good filter uh, for my not being excited about things, and he's called Jamie Nish, right? That's how it works. 17 times in a 90-second clip. Now, normally when I say I'm excited about stuff around the life of our church, I am, I do honestly mean it, right? I'm being serious when I say it. Except for this one thing that we did 
a number of years ago where we hosted a day of praying on the streets for people with Causeway Coast Vineyard, right? And I was up promoting it, getting our, at this stage, very small church excited about going out on the streets and just praying for people and speaking over their lives, right? And I was telling people how excited I was that we were doing it, right? And I thought, well, people are going to be so up for this. And then they weren't, right? Like literally about two people signed up. So I thought, well, I'm the leader. I need to sign up for this, right? So I signed up, okay? And so off we went onto the streets. Seriously, though, hated it, right? Absolutely hated it. I was so bad at it, right? Over the course of a full day on the streets of Belfast of trying to like pray for people and speak into their lives, I think my hit rate was, I got into a mad debate with the guy in St. George's Market about the Crusades. Um, I managed to, so I got into a guy with a debate in Crusades, I was told to do one quite a few times throughout the day, and then the only people that did seem to be receptive were Christians, and I'm like, I'm not here to pray for you. I'm here to pray. And they were all like, oh, I'd love you to pray for me. And big long list of things I could pray for. So it wasn't a great day, right? Even Linda, who's on our leadership team, who is the most positive, evangelistic type person you have ever met in your entire life. We got back to the meeting point at the end of the day. I was like, well, Linda, you know, thinking like, you know, things have been rubbish for me, but Linda will have like led 27 people to the Lord or something throughout the day. Get back to the menu. Like, Linda, how was that? And she's like, yeah. So So I'm I'm good good to never never do this again, again, right? (laughs) Witness in this sense. Rubbish at it, right? Totally rubbish at it. I've had way better times on things like Alpha courses and stuff like that in my lifetime. This is not to say that there aren't people in this room who are incredible at that, in which case, bless you, and I'm never going with you, okay? I'll only make your witness worse, right? But witness... And And it's it's this word, right? right? But But for for most of us, even the thought of it, what what I've just said, right? Going on the streets, engaging people openly, asking if you can pray for them. Ask the Lord to speak to you, to speak into their life. Like, I'm saying this, and all you can think is, Boke, right? Let's never do that. So what is it? When I say witness, what do I mean? Well, these are the words of Luke 24, verses 46 to 48. This is what it says. He told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then again in Acts 28, whenever we did our Acts series, right, we we dug into this part of the passage, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is Luke's version of the Great Commission, okay, that passage from Luke 24, it's Luke's version of the Great Commission. And we get on to the version that we know more, or we, or we kind of dig into more commonly in a little bit, okay? But that's Luke's version. And the Simon is the one who writes about the life of Jesus, then writes about the life of the early church in the book of Acts, which he also wrote, okay? And it's the same focus in both places. Witnesses. We are to be witnesses. And the thing is, in the culture of that time, okay, to be a witness in Old Testament times right through into the New Testament, okay, it was something important, right? It was a high value to be a reliable witness. When you think about it, the only medium of the time was your word, was story, was, you know, kind of vocal communication like that, you know? So to be a reliable witness was incredibly important. It was a high value to witness authentically and honestly in the culture of the time. Actually, it's one of the great irony 
ironies, okay, as you read sections of the Old Testament, as time and time again, the people of God ceased to be good witnesses. And God pours out his wrath on them in those periods of time. So what about us, right? If that's a part of the Old Or who do we witness to with our lives? As you sit here today, what or who do you witness to with your life? Does our witness point to anything different than the way we live, act, speak, or believe? Or are we just the same as everybody else, just with a little bit of Jesus on the side? What do you witness to with your life? To be a witness, okay, conjures up images of bandstands and preaching and pretty soon we all end up feeling disconnected from us as an idea, don't we? That's probably where our head goes when I say witness. And yet this whole theme of witnessing remains absolutely at the center of the New Testament message. Everywhere you go, it's there. We can't run from that, okay? In truth, the Great Commission lives alongside the Great Commandment. And that great commandment being to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know those. In truth, the Great Commission lives right alongside the Great Commandment. If you remember nothing of New Testament direction for your life, you probably remember those two things, don't you? To love the Lord your God, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to go as witnesses. To love God with everything you've got. To love others with everything you've got. And to not hide it. To let the God who we've encountered be so our all in all that we can't help but let him speak through all that we are. Those are those commandments kind of just down in shorthand, right? That's what we try to remember and live by. And witness is a key part of that. It's a core value. And today I just want to pick up two things that I think it means for you and for I as we kind of walk through these values for us as a church. And the first is it's witness as task. And second, witness as story. The first thing is task, right? These are the words of the Great Commission from Matthew's Gospel as we usually read, okay? Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. This is God's word. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are words we read and we speak and we preach on at just about every single mission-facing event in the life of the church, don't we? If you've ever been to commissioning of a team or uh, any sort of Sunday where we talk about mission, this passage will very normally be one of the ones that we talk about, and for good reason, right? It's Jesus preparing the disciples to be catapulted into all the world as disciples, right? When I was at uni, I started to work um, in Subway, right, up in Great Victoria Street. 
And uh, when I was applying for that job as a student, okay, uh, subways at that stage were kind of opening up all over Northern Ireland. They kind of weren't a big thing then. They were just starting to be a thing. So they were opening up. Uh, And the selling point in the, like, the stuff, you know, the blurb for coming to work for Subway was come work for us and become a sandwich artist, right? Seriously, when I started my job, I had a badge that said, Dave, sandwich artist, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be a wizard with a baguette, right? That's how it goes. And so I got there for my first full day. I was really excited about becoming a sandwich artist, right? They'd sold the dream, and I was, I was going for it, okay? I clock in, I get my apron on, and I kind of walk out into the area where, you know, all the stuff is lined up, and I'm thinking, here we go, boys. Today, I become an artist, right? So I'm excited about this. And then I come in, and my boss, who's, who's called Patty, is like, right, okay, Dave, so it's your first day. I'm like, yep, really excited. He's like, okay. So you're going to be doing prep. And I'm thinking, okay, so that means, am I doing the bread? Is that, you know, do I do the bread or do I do like the veg? What am I doing with prep? He's like, nope, you're going to be cutting onions. And then when you finish cutting the onions, you're going to be making tuna mayo. And if you know how much I hate both tuna and mayo, right? I mean, I made vat after vat, those big massive containers of tuna mayo. I probably cut a thousand onions that day, right? It was the worst First day ever, right? Vision, sandwich artist, reality, chopping a thousand onions, right? That's how my first day went. Reality versus, you know, your expectations versus reality moment. And the Great Commission is an incredible passage, okay? It's so hopeful. It's so full of vision and direction and purpose and assurance, right? And we get really excited about it and what we're called to as a passage. And then we read it again. And we come to the reality of the passage. We come to the task. And that can be a problem for us sometimes, can't it? Because the ask or the task of the witness is to proclaim the gospel and teach the way. We get excited about the go into all nations bit, don't we? Like, you're going to go. You're going to do stuff in my name. I'm giving you the authority to go. And then the ask, proclaim the gospel, teach the way. And that's a big ask, isn't it? In the New Testament, uh, in the days of the early church, you know, there was very often a two to three year period of intensive instruction on discipleship before many of these people were actually baptized. It was intense, right? What they were committing to when they were sent in those days, if they were successful in their making disciples, was like the long haul. And for us now, we know that discipleship, right? We're not called to go out and and do one-hit wonder stuff. We're called to make disciples. So therefore, we're called to walk alongside people. So therefore, that is a commitment to the long haul, isn't it? Vision up here. Go and make disciples of all nations. Reality, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's hard. That's a big ask. And it's why so often we read this passage and we get so very excited about the vision, but then so very discouraged, apathetic, and inactive about the task, don't we? And then you have the context of the world in which we live at the same time, right? Where as you begin to look around, we're called to witness here, aren't we? We're not called to witness like an abstract. It's this world. It's this city. It's your workplace, family circle, friendship circle, football club, gym, like whatever it is for you. It's here and now. That's the context that you're being called to witness. And then there's like the context out there too, isn't there? Like constant stream of bad news and bad stories about the church, whether it's moral failures, leadership horror stories, or just desperate decline. Discouraged 
apathetic, inactive. Does that resonate with anyone a lot of the time? So what are we going to do about it? Well, I'm supposed to, you know, get all ranty at you, right? Or shout at you. Maybe that'd be a bit too Pentecostal for us. So I just, you know, Presbyterian, I'd shame you, right? That's what we do, right? I'm not going to do that. Because I think today it's not just thinking about the context of now. I think the temptation is that we get so bogged down in the context of the here and now. It looms so very large in our eye line that we then become so easily inactive, so easily discouraged, so easily apathetic. And actually, I think the context of the commission has something to speak to us today. It's, it's hard to hear the call to witness without it falling on ears, already discouraged by the context of now. But the context of the commission was something else, right? When you look back a little bit, okay, in Matthew 28, just look back at the start of that chapter in and of itself, right? We're looking back at the beginning of the narrative that Matthew has about the resurrection, okay? Matthew 28 starts with the news of the resurrection. In other words, the context of the Great Commission is a miracle. The context that Jesus calls his disciples out into the world, it's not the context that looms large for us now, it's a miracle. He calls them to go them having just seen the resurrection. It's not defeat, it's not grief anymore, it's not total discouragement anymore, it's amazement, excitement, it's worship. The context for the commission is a miracle. And just imagine for a second that you were in those disciples' shoes. Just imagine how that would have changed everything for you. What you've just seen, what you know Jesus has just done. Imagine how that would have galvanized them, not kind of disparaged as we are now. It would have galvanized them. They'd just seen a miracle. And now for lots of us, if you've ever, anyone's ever prayed for you or you've been around a healing or God has spoken to you vividly and clearly in those moments, you begin to believe anything is possible. God's speaking to me. God's doing something. God just changed my life. Therefore, you begin to believe anything is possible. That's them. And all of a sudden, it's not such a big ask anymore. Our hope is not still in the ground. We need to remember that today. As we read the words of the Great Commission and we get excited about the sending bit, the go bit, the all nations bit, we need to not be discouraged about the task in our lives to proclaim the gospel and teach the way because our hope is no longer in the ground. And that has to inform how we read this passage and inform the call to the task to be a witness to the victory that he has already won. Our hope isn't in the ground. But yeah, when it comes to the task of being a witness, so many of us still act like it is. Context changes everything. Which context is the strongest in your head and in your heart today? The one of the world that is in front of you? Or the one as Matthew tells it. But also the call to task, right? It isn't just ours as individuals either, right? Jesus is commissioning the disciples and he tells us what his job is, okay? He's really clear. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me, therefore go, okay? The authority is his and the presence is his. Actually to be with us is kind of a book and message of Matthew in a number of weeks. I don't know if it depresses you or excites you. We're going to be doing Christmas stuff, right? And that passage from Matthew 1, 23, what that passage we read so often where we call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. 
He promises to be God with us in Matthew 1. And here he is in Matthew 28 as he's sending us. He's still God with us. So Jesus promises to be with us. A little bit early in Matthew 16, he also promised too to build his church. So that's his job too. That's not our job. That's not my job, though there are times where I like to believe in my head that it's my job. It's not. So what is our job in the task of witness? Living the way of Jesus. Our job? Living the way of Jesus. Eugene Peterson translates this section of Matthew 28 as go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. We teach, we instruct, we preach most clearly with a way of life. It's not about bandstands, though if that's what you're called to and that's what you're gifted in, go do it. It's not about preaching at the front of church, though if that's what you're called to and that's what you're gifted in, go and do it. It's about a way of life. And we can only teach a way of life if we live a way of life ourselves. And the thing is, it's not just on you, the individual, okay? It's corporate. It's no coincidence that every time Jesus wants to deal out significant instruction to the disciples, it's not to one of them, it's to all of them. The great commandment is the same. He calls them to himself, then he delivers the commandment. The great commission is this passage we're looking at today. And again, he's not just speaking it to one of them. He's speaking it to all of them. Jesus is grounding our participation in the most significant things he calls us to be as a community and not as individuals. So if you hear the challenge today, it's not all on you. It's on us. It's on us. Michael Goheen writes this, the Great Commission is not a task assigned to isolated individuals. It's an identity given to a community. In other words, it's who we are. Christopher Wright builds on it even further and he wrote that it's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. It's who we are. Witness is not just part of our values. It's part of our identity as followers of Jesus. This is fundamental to who we are. To be witness is to be who we truly are. The wonder is not how great we are at it, but how persistent and how patient God is at working through us. Why? I don't know why. Why is he so persistent? Why is he so patient? Why does he choose to do things this way? Why? I'm always struck with that question when I think about mission, when I think about our pathetic efforts to witness a way of life, to witness who he is. I'm always struck. I always ask myself that question. Well, we get this little snapshot in Isaiah 43 where the Lord is speaking to just this very topic, right? And this is what he says in Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. You see, we are called to this task so that we would come to trust him more, come to know him more, called to understand him more, so that he might call him back, call us back to himself. In other words, in calling us out calling us to be witnesses. 
in the world in which we find ourselves, the world that is around you, is one way that God calls us back to himself as his children. You know, my dad often helps me with DIY. We've been here before. I feel like, you know, DIY and me is a confessional with this church, right? But, so I'm not very good at DIY. If this is your first time at Central, you, you, should, you should know that I'm fairly terrible at DIY, okay? Um, and so my dad often helps me with DIY. And over the years, we've argued as we've attempted to fit TV aerials. That was a particularly good one because he was like in the attic and I was in the ground floor and we just shouting at each other over kind of three floors, right? We fitted TV aerials. We We've cut copper mains water supplies. That was quite good too, while he got hosed in the face with mains water until we got it switched off. We fitted new taps. We've got electrocuted while we tried to change light fittings. You know, it's all, all in all, it's been moderately successful through those years, okay? We've done lots. And the thing is that it's never harmonious, okay? Dad frequently tells me when we're doing DIY that I'm a really awful builder's mate, okay? And I'd like to tell him, do you know what though, Dad? You're a very average builder, okay? And so this is kind of how it goes back and forth, back and forth, right? But you know what? I've come to realize through that period of time that the thing I treasure most about when he comes around and he loads his toolbox into the house and he complains about something and it starts like that, okay? The thing I've come to treasure most about it is not the job well done. It's time with him. And that's it. Like worship is something that we do because we need it. Witness is something we do because we need it too. It's where we come to understand him. It's where we come to know him more. It's where we come to find out things about him. When we take our place in the task that is as witness, right? We come to know him more when we take our place as witness. It's not just because we're called. It's because we need it. It's because we need it. Witness. Some of us feel like we have nothing to do. And some of us feel like we have everything to do. Like we carry the whole weight of the witness of God on our shoulders. And neither of those things are right. You don't have nothing to do. You don't have everything to do. But Jesus says you do have a task to do. But it is a co-mission. And he does the heavy lifting. To be a witness means first that we have a task. But second, it means, it means that we have a story. Witness as task, but secondly, witness a story. It is the season of Halloween, right? I don't know if you noticed the steady stream of small children dressed up as skeletons last night coming to our front door. It reminded me that it definitely was Halloween. And one of the features of this period of time is ghost stories, right? Remember when you were growing up and you tried to tell ghost stories? And the whole point about ghost stories is like one-upping, right? Yours has to be scarier than the one that comes before, doesn't it? The point is they have to get scarier the more you tell them. And in lots of ways, we're like that as stories in general, aren't we? Like when you catch up with friends and you haven't seen them for a while and you sit down we get together we talk about life and stories and there's this sense of one upmanship about it anyway isn't there and I've got a better story and a better story and a better story and that's how it tends to go and we're kind of like that with our life stories aren't we 
I used to go to hang out with a SISM team in Port Ballantrae uh, lots of summers, right? My friends were often on the team, uh, and so we would go and hang out with them while they did their thing. Uh, and there was this guy from the local area, right, that would always come to SISM. He was way too old for SISM, but he, he like, knew some of the people on the team, so he came back year after year after year. And he was just one of these people that had like a one-up story. It didn't matter what you said. His story was better, okay? But I mean, it wasn't just better. Like, it was so much better that you knew as it came out of his mouth, it was a lie, right? The second it came out, you were like, that can't be true. So you'd be talking about, you know, uh, somebody said, you know, the other week, it was like, oh, we were, you know, we were out the other day and we we're playing football. And then it turned out, like, one of the guys who was, who was playing on the other team, like, he played for Linfield, right? And then he would say, oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. I was out the other week and there was, you know, I had to pick three people up from the airport. There were three world-class footballers. I'm not saying much, but one of them, Ronaldo. And you were like... What, in the back of your Corsa? No. And then he'd be like, you know, you'd be walking around and people started doing the whip thing with tiles at one point. It was a youth team, right? So people were doing the whip things with tiles. Like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that, don't do that. Somebody did that to me last week and I broke three bones in my leg. And you were like, but you're standing there now. And he just, he just, it was like, he was in fact a compulsive liar, right? Every story was one up, but it was so much better. You were like, that's not true. That can't possibly be true. And I say that today because the thing is that most of us, at some subconscious level, we tell ourselves one-up stories about ourselves, don't we? Like we're laughing about one-up stories that other people tell or stuff that's going on. But the truth is, in our own lives, the stories that we tell about ourselves are normally one-up about other people. We always compare ourselves to other people that are worse than us, don't we? It's always someone else's fault. It's always that you aren't meeting my needs. It's always that somebody else is disappointing you. The stories we tell about ourselves, right? We are always the hero of our story, aren't we? It's all about me. We are self-centric at some core level. I was using some stats a couple of weeks ago, one of which was that we are more inclined to remember information if it relates to our self. That's how self-centric we are at a deeper level, right? And here's the thing, following Jesus presents a challenge to that. Because if you're a follower of Jesus today, you've entered a story that doesn't, doesn't revolve around you. If you follow Jesus today, you've entered a story that doesn't revolve around you. You have a story, but it's not an autobiography. There's an author, but it's not you. You're part of an incredible drama, but it will never be about you. You have been given a kingdom that you will never rule. Following Jesus presents, presents a challenge to our self-centric selves. Because if we follow him, our lives are no longer about us, are they? Paul Tripp writes this, Your life story is a biography of wisdom and grace written by another. You see, the thing is that for most of our lives, we likely will not be particularly remembered. That's the sad fact of most of our lives, okay? I mean, this is a struggle for a life in the world where we're all about making a name for ourselves, right? Legacy is a big thing to lots of people. I mean, I stand here today as the leader of this church in the long shadow of a name, quite literally the long shadow of a stained glass window, which is looming over us today. I mean, I don't know if he looks impressed or not. Anyway, most of us will never have a legacy like that. We'll not have buildings erected for us, monuments, busts above the door out there, will we? That won't be most of our lives. 
But it shouldn't be a discouragement because you've been invited into the great story, which is now your biography. So when it comes to witness, what does that have to do with it? Answer, everything. When it comes to the power of story in our lives as witnesses, we have have this habit of oversharing or undersharing, don't we? We either fall in one of those two camps. We talk loads about ourselves and very little about Jesus, or we talk loads about Jesus and never how it actually connects to ourselves. So where's the line? Well, there is a line in Scripture, okay? And throughout the apostles' ministry, as you take it in the New Testament, they had this general flow of how they acted as witnesses and the part that story had to tell. And it looks like this. This is kind of how they shared. The first is the heart of what they proclaimed or the events of the gospel, okay? The very heart of the story that they told was the gospel itself. Just look at the sermons and acts, for example, and, and look at how they spoke to the hearers and walked them through the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Time and again, it formed the heart of the story that they told. Second, they witnessed to the character of Jesus through their lives, how they patterned their ministry on his, maybe particularly his miracles and his compassion, okay? Again and again and again, that's the reference point. And finally, that they then witness with their own stories. In other words, the story that they tell, it doesn't start with them. It started with the message of the gospel with Jesus. And it had to flow through the character of their lives. And then finally through the story that they had to tell. See, there's a flow. And the first part of how we tell our story as witnesses is Jesus. You know, it's hard to live and speak a life with Jesus at the heart of it without ever talking about him. I find it surprising lots of the time that as Christians we spend so little time actually talking about Jesus, don't we? I mean, just think about how much we talk about completely trivial stuff and how little we talk about him. Part of the apostles' model of life as a witness is that they constantly spoke about who Jesus was, constantly, again and again and again, what he did, what he was doing in their lives, what he was doing in the world around them. And part of this comes back to what we talked about throughout the Follow Me series, right? That there is a need to live out of a worldview centered on Jesus rather than one centered on me. They lived out a different worldview, so naturally Jesus was the thing on the tip of their tongues. We need to talk about him more. And we need to talk about him like we actually know him, right? Jesus should be at the heart of our stories. We have to live out of a biblical imagination rather than a cultural imagination because if we do, we can't help but talk personally, intimately, honestly about him. Secondly, what we do, how we act as a witness, right? The character of our lives. You know, I find this amazing thing about the life of Paul uh, in, in through the, his letters, right? That obviously he loved to preach. Like preaching was in many ways the passion of his life, right? But look at his letters and look about how comparatively little direction he gave to his readers about their preaching. In other words, his passion was preaching, but he didn't tell the the people in the churches that he was writing to, to do it lots and lots and lots. But content on how to live, just about all of it. How we live has to be compatible with how we speak. There's no way around that for followers of Jesus, okay? This is about a way of life, and it matters that we actually live a way of life. It speaks louder than words ever could. And finally, our story. 
It's clear that our story has a place in the task of witness. For example, in John 17, okay, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And then there's, so there's an expectation that we would share our message. We have examples, okay, throughout the New Testament of how Paul and how he spoke of his transformation quite a few times. We have the Samaritan woman and the man born blind, both of which who went on and told their story of just what God had done that day, that we tell our story matters. You know, throughout the New Testament, the most common description for a believer was not a Christian. It was to be in Christ. That was the most common term. It occurs 164 times in the letters of Paul alone. Paul speaks far more often about our need to be in Christ than of Christ being in Christians. And I say that today because John Stott describes being in Christ like this. He says, to be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ as tools are in a box or our clothes in a closet, but to be organically united to Christ as a limb is in the body or a branch is in the tree. It is this personal relationship with Christ that is the distinctive mark of his authentic followers. We need to tell our story Because our story doesn't just connect with us, it connects with who we belong to. In other words, when it comes to living as a witness, we need to tell our story because our story is his story. Our story is his story. I'm holding this um, book up to you today. um, And this rather cheesy strap line, their story is his story. Do you get it? Yeah, you got it pretty quickly, actually, to be fair. Uh, this story is the story of people's lives transformed in Alpha Courses out at Carmoni Church. And um, over many years, okay, this one I think was published in 2008, all right? So it was stories in the kind of five years or so before this book was published. There are so many. There's 23 stories, I think, in this particular one. And there, you will believe there is an even worse-looking one that was published before. Graphic design has come a long way. Anyway, um, And the whole point of that book was to tell the stories of what God had done in different people's lives, different backgrounds, different ages and stages. Actually, one Clark Abernethy has written a stirring word at the end of this particular one. Uh, You can read it later if you want. Some of these people are now dead. Some of these people have went on to go into the ministry. Some still speak the same story today. And at the beginning of the book, my dad quotes Ephesians 3.20, and this is what he writes. I pray that Christ Jesus and the church will forever bring praise to God. His power at work in us can do far more than we dare ask or imagine. Amen. And that's exactly what this does. In story after story after story, Jesus alive and working through ordinary lives, ordinary stories. And when your life and your story inhabits the great story, you begin to see the world the way God does. That's the place where people get transformed. Philip Greensdale writes this, through believing the story, We are drawn into the action and find ourselves caught up in the saving movement of God. 
We learn to indwell the story. So looking out from within the biblical world with new eyes onto our postmodern lives and world, we stop trying to make the Bible relevant to our lives and instead begin to find ourselves being made relevant to the Bible. We give up the clumsy attempt to wrench the ancient text into our contemporary world and instead bring our world back into collision with and cleansing by the strange new world of the Bible. That's what it means to inhabit the story and to allow God's work of grace and transformation in our lives to manifest in how we tell our story. When my life and my story inhabits the great story, I begin to see the world the way God does. I become a witness. And that's the space where people's lives get transformed. You know, in Denmark, they have this amazing thing called the human library. And it's exactly what it sounds like, okay? You rent a person. You go to the library and you don't rent a book. You rent a person. And the point is that as you rent them, you're actually renting a story. When you go to the website, it lists the sorts of stories that are available to rent. An alcoholic, someone with autism, bipolar, Muslim, refugee, homeless, and on and on and on. You rent somebody with a perspective that is not your own. And the whole point that in hiring them for an hour and sitting down to talk to them about their life and about their perspective and about a whole way of seeing the world that you don't know and you can't relate to before you meet them, the whole point is that their lives and their stories cross boundaries, break down walls and change our prejudices. In other words, their stories invade our lives. They change who we are as they share their story with us. And that's it. When you think about the task as a witness, you have a job to do. You don't have everything to do. You don't have nothing to do. God promises the authority and he promises his presence, but he says you have a job to do. You've got a task. And we need to see ourselves in the context of a miracle, not the world that we look at today and get disparaged and downtrodden as we look out. We need to remember that as Jesus calls us, we're called in the context of a miracle. But as he calls us to go to wherever that is, your circle of influence, your workplace, your friendships, your family, your neighborhood, right? I know as we talk about Belfast, you look and you're like, well, how am I meant to do anything with Belfast? You are called to your small corner. You have a task there, and I believe that that will be through your story. That we need to get it in order, right? The overshare, undershare needs to be in balance. We need to actually talk about Jesus. We need to live like the words that we speak. We need to let our story connect with the great story. And as we do that, that's where lives get transformed. You know, it's been five years or so since we planted Central. Uh, we live in this crazy space this, these days where the majority of the people who are here today weren't there when we did it, okay? We planted five years ago or so. Don't worry, all right? We have booked a cake for a couple of weeks' time, right? So there will be cake one Sunday. We'll get to celebrate and all of that sort of stuff. But the way things have worked, it just didn't work to do it now. We will do it in a couple of weeks' time, right? 
But we planted around that vision five years ago, joining with God and others in the transformation of Belfast as disciples who make disciples. And quite frankly, a lot has changed, okay? We started like this, right? This is where we started. Notice that we took a picture this way so that you couldn't see how few people were there, right? We planted with nine people back in the day, all right? And we were in the Mac on a Wednesday night, uh, and it was just incredible to get us started, okay? Uh, And so when it didn't work to just gather people, we tried feeding people, okay? We did, look how many more people have come because we're feeding them and established, right? We tried feeding them after that. And then after a while, they asked us to move space again, so we were in this kind of tiny little space upstairs in the Mac. Actually, they moved us, it felt like just about every other week at that period of time. Now, this is a big one, okay? This means nothing to many of you, right? But you see this flight case? This was literally everything we owned as a church. And it went in a flight case, and we were allowed to store it. You're not getting as excited about that as we were when we got our flight case, right? So this was where we were, right? So then what do we do next? Well, then we had more established, okay? More trying to feed people, more bribery. We had more small gatherings after that. This was somebody taking a photo, obviously, of Jamie while he leads. What a nice boy. Anyway, um, more small gatherings. Then we move venue again, okay? This is another venue that we moved to. There's loads of people in this particular photo, which is probably more to do with the fact that Pete Gregg was speaking that day than our church was actually growing, okay? But we moved again. Then uh, other amazing things happened. People got married. That was Jimmy and Lydia right before they got married. And then we moved again, this time to assembly buildings, KC, if you're interested, looked like this around that period of time. Look at my tiny daughter in that picture. I knew that would be the one you'd react to. Anyway, and then uh, this came up. Oh, no, we did Christmas gatherings. This was Christmas. Lots of people coming. This happened. This is where you're sitting right now. And it was brilliant. And it was also a nightmare, as you'll see. I think there are numerous photos of it being an absolute... Honestly, I think for about a year, like, dust still came out of my nose and my ears, right? It took forever, right? But we moved in. We got into this place, and then we got in in April 2019, which should be your next one. We finally managed to move in. Teams grew. Uh, different people, oh, there we go, different people moved into different areas, very happy about their bottle choices right there, Rosie. <laughs> she had probably, Rosie's going to kill me because that photo's been in there. Anyway, uh, more people had babies, Connie, and all that sort of stuff. We grew some more, uh, and this is kind of before, I, I wore the same clothes then that I realize I'm wearing today, which is quite embarrassing, that might even be the same t-shirt. Um, more people got married. Laura, look. And then lockdown hits, and Central looks a bit like this for about a year or so. And yet here we are today. And I tell you this today because I want you to know the story. I want you to know the story of the place that you're belonging to, the place that you're coming to. Lots of you thinking about joining and connecting with us right now, and we love that. We would love to have you as part of our church here in Belfast. We'd love to release you to live as witnesses uh, and try and equip you and encourage you and stand with you as a community here in Belfast, sent to whatever it is life looks like for you, okay? We want you to know the story because we want you to know that you belong to this story. Because at this stage in time, okay, I'll meet with people and so much of the time they will ask me this question all the time. Well, how's Central going, right? 
And normally when they ask it, what they're actually wanting to know is how many people are coming on a Sunday. So I can use numbers or figures as a metric, but we all know that's not really a very good metric. Sometimes I'll say, sometimes I won't. A better metric sometimes is to say how many people are connected and committed, right? How many are in teams? How many are in home groups? How many are giving to the life of the church? But I've come to believe that one metric is more important than any of the others. And it's story. I've come to think over time that it's not just about how many bombs are on seats. It's not just about how many people are giving or how healthy the finances are. It's about story. By that I mean the stories being told around the church of what God is doing through normal people's lives. Prayers answered, conversations with work colleagues, prophetic words, people coming to faith, people walking through hard things faithfully, healing, and so on and so on and so on. Because they don't just tell me that someone is invested in the community, they tell me that they are invested in the way of Jesus for their lives and for the city of Belfast. Our stories become absorbed in his story. And so I wanted to launch uh, this today. You've all been sitting here wondering what this nice easel was for. Don't worry, I'm not about to start drawing or do like some sort of art demonstration, right? I wanted to launch this today. This is going to be a feature around the life of church, I reckon, over the next year. So it might be here or it might be over in the ministry corner. And it's designed to do exactly what it says. I want you to tell me your story. I want you to tell me your stories. I want you to tell me about things God is doing in your life. I want you to tell me about you had a conversation with someone at work and they're coming on an alpha course. I want you to tell me about walking through hard things. I want you to tell me about things the Lord is speaking to you. I want you to tell me about healing or significant things that the Lord is doing in your life that you might even think are insignificant, but they're not. I want you to tell me your stories. There's post-its here, there's pens, they're going to be here every week. I would love you to come and write however long it is. You can tell me your name or you can do it anonymously. And then we're going to tell some of those stories maybe at the start of church each week to encourage each other about how the Lord is moving in this church. We might do it over Instagram or an email or whatever, but I would love you to tell me your story. We want to hear and tell what Jesus is doing here in Belfast so that we might stir and encourage one another to live as witnesses for the transformation of this city.